Drive-by Cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Ah, it's episode 48 of Drive-by Cinema. With me is my co-host Paul. I'm Richard Manichus out with, with only a tinge of disappointment. Yes, I'm here. Uh, I'm Paul. I, I'm Richard's co-host. And little else. Weren't no more sense left in him than a hen's tooth. <laughs> and, yes, I'm Rick. Hello, welcome. So, can we go on to corrections? I was about to go into corrections, yeah. During Let the Right One In. Yeah. Oh, gosh. One thing really tickled you. No, no, it's not. No, you were very. Th- I know this I was, movie. Is- did I say he looked like the son of Shrek? Was that a different movie? We keep coming back to let the right one in. It's a movie that keeps on giving. Yeah. But you were tickled pink by the fact that the poodle was called Ricky. Apparently, I wasn't tickled pink by it. <laughs> what poodle? The dog. The dog that finds Hakan stringing the guy up in the park quite early. No, 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 no. Let's just, let's just, let's just hark back. Richard, you've been tickled pink by the fact that Harkonnens have ginger hair and that my hair might in the past have had a reddish tint. Yeah, You've been tickled by the fact that... Anyway, sorry, you've been tickled on several occasions, Richard. So, All so I want to say is... From that framework of perspective, let's continue. Please continue. It didn't sound like Ricky when she spoke it in Swedish. It was just the uh, translation that said I'm it. sure you've made this point three times already, Richard. No, but I, I've thought about this because it's been bugging me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, finally, I chink in your armour. No, but it's probably come from a translation of a Swedish a name for... Well, what does, what does Rick mean? Why is Richard a name in English? The answer is it means king. It's from Rex. Yes, so it's probably from the Swedish equivalent of king or something similar that that, that poodle was called. So it'd be Rex, wouldn't it? It'd be the dog's name Rex. So if you'd been a smarter translator, you would have subtitled that dog's name as Rex, not as Ricky. It's just bad translation. Okay. That's my theory, anyway. That's how you managed to dismiss the association with a small lap dog. <laughs> well done. Powerful defence mechanisms in evidence here today. Everybody. No, no. I, look, I was just taking glee for once. Like you know, I, I could take cheap shots at you. I, I shall have to go back and listen now to every single episode and work out exactly what cheap shots you've taken at me, Richard. Oh, oh also, yeah, the other, yeah. I mean, you've had your fun with me, Richard. Yeah. When I told I told you a few, a few episodes about the name of an actor. Oh, yeah, that's the kind of thing somebody who takes copious notes would know. You know, we've had a few of those, Richard. <laughs> Thinking back, if you want to know why we're in marriage counselling, <laughs> I welcome, I welcome your studied interjections. You see, you see, you hear the sarcasm there, the tonality. <laughs> you, the tonality is just. I'm, I'm not tone policing, but I am tone commenting here. Actually, the tonality of your comments is just not welcome. Yeah. Sorry, let me put it in. Let me put it in counselling mode. I feel that sometimes <laughs> the tonality of your comments. Whilst not necessarily intended, <laughs> might have the effect of making me feel otherwise demeaned and marginalised, Richard. Well, obviously, I'm going to say that I apologise if, for whatever no, you reason... Don't sincere. Let's move on. Look, okay. <laughs> so, where were we? What were we talking about? You, had you said you'd been playing tennis today, Paul, and I was fascinated. Now then, Richard, yes, I was playing tennis today. Here's a question. First of all, is that permitted? <gasps> oh, 
Well, I, I, I elbow bumped with the coach, which I find, I find it really annoying when men do that. <laughs> Why? It's, what would it's you less annoying than, than, you know, during the first lockdown when I was living in Merseyside where men would foot tap instead of shaking hands. I mean, <laughs> we're in a lockdown. You don't need to replicate handshaking, do you? Just don't foot bump, don't elbow bump, don't foot tap. Just, you know, just nod. bow. bow. Yep, nod or bow. Very shallow bowing. Yep, I Curtsy. like that. <laughs> all you need to do. Sorry, so you were, playing, yes, sorry. you were playing tennis with a coach. I, cur- I curtsied? No, 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 no. no. Uh, as it happened, Eastbourne has just finished. Uh, what? What's Eastbourne? It's the pre-Wimbledon, one of the pre-Wimbledon tournaments that happens in the UK. Okay. Uh, and it's not as good because of the weather usually. Not because, I mean, all the, all the same people play there pretty much. So you might as well call it Wimbledon. Not watch Wimbledon if you want to save a bit of money. You go and get Eastbourne tickets for a lot cheaper, I'd imagine. But that's beside the point. So Eastbourne's just happened. Wimbledon's about to start, or is starting. The local tennis, lawn tennis club decided to do an open day to, you know, piggyback interest in Wimbledon. You know, people, the number of people buying tennis rackets at this point in the year must be unfathomable. And to have an open day where people come and play tennis for free and have strawberries and cream and have pims for a small £2 entrance fee. And to raise money for the club's coffers, so to speak, at the same time. Plus, they've got two new hard courts, which are beautiful blue. So, I've just joined last week. So, I thought, what a good time to go and pretend that I'm not lonely and don't have people to play tennis with when there are lots of people visiting the club at the same time. So, I joined with the minglers uh, who were complete outsiders. Right. That's it. And so... Do you are you able just to get a game, and or was it like a tournament? Did they put you in? No, it was an open day today. You see, so right. So you could just walk onto the court. Onto the, I was going to say the pitch. You could walk onto the court and, <laughs> and, and you see know, you're a tennis expert and, and play with other people. Except I was on my own, so you so just, just have to barge into somebody else's. So I borrowed lots of balls and just served them. You know, over the you s- served them, s- served balls, and then I walked to the side where the balls were, collected them, and served them back again. 400 what? times. On your own? With yeah. nobody on the and, other side? And the coach said, I was watching your serves. He said, you know, you've got power. I said, but? But, but you're shit. I think I know. <laughs> and he said, he said, oh, you know, there's, uh, I do coaching on a Monday night. Oh. That's that's what happened. So that's you were was... a mark for a coach looking for business. No, no, I was he desperate for his, you. no, I was desperate to speak to him because I want his business. Oh, sorry, I want to give him my business. Not, not my doo-doos, you know, my, my money. Uh, <laughs> And put shit in his hands, you know, literally. <laughs> Hi, coach. Let me smear some of this on you. No, I wouldn't give him my business, but I'd give him so some money. So you didn't money. play a game with any random people then? That's not It's not how these things happen. No, but the four ladies next to me said, oh, oh where yeah. are our balls gone? And they took some of my balls. <laughs> Amazing. They complained that balls were missing. They weren't. And then took somebody else's balls and they were happy. That seems to me like a metaphor for the whole day, Paul. But also, I hadn't brought any money. I brought my Google Pay on my phone. On your phone? Yeah, and I couldn't pay for the strawberries and cream or the entrance fee or the cake I had later when I'd said <laughs> I had no money. So I, I'm it. now on the honour scheme. <laughs> they have uh, little pots, little porcelain... I think it's a porcelain partridge. It's actually a money money bank, piggy bank, that I have to put the money I'm owing. I'm already owing the club money, so what they think of me, I don't know. I'll be having to use a tradesman's entrance soon. Well, why, why would they not have a card reader that would let you pay? I don't know, but they didn't. Dear me. It's the 21st century, Paul. 
Well, you might think so, yeah. All right. Now, this film that we're about to talk about after this musical interlude... (gasps) This film that we're about to talk about after that musical interlude... Is... Not a science fiction film. No. We're watching Lighthouse from 2019, in case you didn't know. Even though it only has two actors and two characters, maybe three. So it was described as a classic two-hander. A two-hander is a movie where two people inevitably come to conflict and blows. But this was really reminiscent of our early science fiction season. Yes. everything was just two, two characters. People locked in a room. Who will go mad first? That's exactly what this is, isn't it? That's all that yeah. happened, really. You said it was based on an Edgar Allan Poe story. Very but, loosely, yeah, apparently. Uh, mm, I think this was kind of maybe inspired by that, but it was written by the director, Eggers, is it? Yeah, I have to say very well written. Really well written uh, in terms of it just keeps going and it re- reveals itself quite slowly. So this is the life of a wiki. If you don't know what a wiki is, that's somebody who looks after the wick in a lighthouse. Oh, that's the derivation. I did wonder about that. Mm. So it's Robert Patterson, who we've seen in Tenet, but not with such a great moustache until now. <laughs> and William Defoe is playing a bit of an older wizened wiki. Wizened wiki? Plays him quite well, actually. Uh, I didn't realise it was William Defoe for about five minutes. So, oh, it's William Defoe! He's one of my favourites. So that was nice to see it was actually William Defoe. Now, I've not criticised actors for not being pretty enough before. And I'm going to have to criticise Robert Patterson in the same vein. Oh. You know, he's lost his shame, really. He's a bit like somebody who shops at JD Sports, but has a hipster moustache to go with it. <laughs> JD Sports. <laughs> it's like a customer at JD Sports, but has put a hipster moustache on himself. Now, this is set back in the day. I don't exactly know when. 1890s. 1890s. Oh, is that, that late? Okay. And it's New England, coast of New England, which I think is why they excuse the extraordinary accents that are being used here, which... Well... Like half an hour, I couldn't understand a word that was being said. <laughs> so Defoe is, you know, he's supposed to be somebody who's immigrated from Ireland, maybe 60, well, as a kid. So he's got a bit of an Irish brogue remaining. But mostly he's talking in the jibber-jabber of sailor speak. Nautical, yeah. yeah. He's speaking pirate. <laughs> uh, and uh, young Robert apparently studied a long time. He's... he's a particular regionality of 1890s main accents, which doesn't really come across. It sounds like he's making it up, really. He's supposed to be from Canada, isn't he? That's the the other thing. He's supposed to be from Canada. Well, is he? Because, I mean, he's, as we learn later in the movie, he's been pretending to be somebody he's not. The story is that he was a lumberjack. He was a lumberjack called Tommy, working alongside a guy called Ephraim. That's right, yeah. Ephraim Dies in an accident, and he didn't help Dies him. in an accident. And he took Ephraim's identity from that point on, because I think he was abandoned, dun, dun, basically. Dun. That was the story, but we don't know that. He's a rotten, way. he's a rogue rotten bugger, right? Okay, so we don't know. We never find out, but he did kind of confess, didn't he, halfway through? That he, he's, he's the one that's done, gone, killed the other fellow and taken his identity. So he's got things to hide, and, you know, when people are stuck in a lighthouse drinking too much and they start to crack, then it all comes out one way or the other. Now, he's Ooh. a new guy. He's taking over as the partner of uh, William Defoe's character. The underling. The underling, that's right. And they're going to be posted in this light, lighthouse for four weeks, they said. I think that was right when they were dropped off. Which is quite short, actually. I think you could probably... 
I'd do four weeks in a lighthouse. I think I'd probably manage that. Although not if I had to do the jobs that that the underling was having to do there. Absolutely. I mean, Defoe just... I mean, this is the thing. I mean, the brutal life was also the brutal level of relationships. You know, the idea of your superior has the authority just to willy-nilly hand out extra works depending on, on to the level that you satisfied him. So, yeah, I, I kind of listed these down. Day one, shovel coal. Day two, uh, fire, the, fire the light. Day three, fix the roof. Day four, scale a height and get cut off. And You're missing stuff out here. Wait a minute. Day five, wheelbarrow some shit. Uh, your own shit. Empty the part. Day six, grope a mermaid. Well, well, this is an upside <laughs> to all this. But sorry, which ones have I missed? Well, when he arrives, the old captain guy, or whatever he's called, the old wiki, he's drinking some kind of spirit, isn't he? Knocking back some rum, I guess. And meanwhile, Robert Patterson apparently doesn't drink at the start anyway. He goes to the hand pump in the kitchen sink area and he tries to draw some water from the cistern. Makes you wonder where you get fresh water from for the uh, the lighthouse keepers, doesn't it? Where would where would they get it from? But all the water is apparently off or poisoned or I don't know, brackish, who knows what. He tries to drink it and spits it out. And the old guy tells him he's going to have to see the cistern. Thomas. Thomas is the name of the old guy. Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. That's right. Thomas is the name of the old guy. And also, as we learn later, the name of the young guy. Later, he gets a big sack of something. Is that lime or something? And he tips it into the water cistern. And I wasn't sure how that's supposed to make it potable or safe to drink. Well, that's apparently what you have to do. Would you know how to survive on this island, Paul, if they dropped you off no. for four weeks? No. 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 I, I, eat some seaweed. Uh, you know, I mean, forage for seaweed is a good idea. Good starting point, I think. Catch some fish. They don't catch any fish, though. They catch lobster, don't they? they put lobster no, they've got lobster. nets. They've got some cages. Sorry, what do you call them? And they've got provisions because they seem to be eating every night. Someone cooks, I guess the old guy is cooking slap-up meal every evening, isn't he? Like but wait, meat I mean, veg pot spoiler, their provisions go off, and then they... Oh, like, later on, yeah. yeah. Later on, they have to go and get the emergency backup provisions, which have carefully been provided, and they've been flooded. This is mostly uh, Or rather, it turns out it's not the provisions, but just, is it gin or rum or something? So the road to alcoholism is quite a smooth path, isn't it, really, when, <laughs> when it's all you can drink? You can't drink any water. There's no food. You need to drink it, don't you? So, I mean, props to Robert's character for, for sticking out the alcoholism for so long, but eventually he succumbs, doesn't he? But we'll get to that later. Yeah, so lots of tasks. The old guy's being a rum bugger and not being too kind to him. And so he, he just has to like it or lump it, and he has to like it because he's stopped being a lumberjack. He can't go back to doing that, and he's looking for a better life. And I guess life on a lighthouse at four weeks stints pays pretty darn good, doesn't it? Yeah, he says that, doesn't he? He says it pays very well. Hmm. So he's shoveling coal. You said it was day like day one, but I think it must be every day shoveling yeah, coal. Yeah, for the I lighthouse. think he shovels coal every day. Yeah. One thing though, the old guy won't let him go up in the lighthouse and have a look at the light. In fact, no. the old guy secretly, secretively heads up there, strips off his clothes, and bathes himself in the lighthouse light every night. But doesn't know that Robert Pattinson's character knows about it. This film is entirely shot in black and white. Even the masturbatory scenes. <laughs> Of which there are two, I think. I thought you'd focus on that. I think there are at least two. Well, no, no, no. Wiki. Wikipedia focuses on it straight away. Wiki. The Wiki Wiki. (laughs) The Lighthouse Keeper's Wikipedia. Wiki Wiki, yes. It shines a light on the masturbatory scenes straight away. As does does Amazon itself, if you watch it on Amazon. 
it's the first thing that comes up. What do you mean the first thing that comes up? On the on the <laughs> credits and uh, tidbit tidbits. <laughs> what it says there are two masturbation scenes yeah. that... <laughs> and they were shot first. That's the oh. you know. Don't accuse me of focusing on things that I'm not doing. That was uh, that was on the credits and trivia. The first was... thing on the credits and trivia. Yeah. I see. Two shots were Don't shot. Don't condemn first. me for doing my homework, Richard. <laughs> I'm getting getting myself in trouble with you here. <laughs> Black and white all the way through, masturbation included. Also, especially at the start, this amazing repeated sound of the foghorn as well sets a tone for the movie. You're damn right. Yes, we get quite a lot of foghorn. In the soundtrack. And early on, and before he's done any masturbation, Robert Pattinson have, has an encounter with a seagull, a one-eyed seagull. <laughs> now, the old bloke says, oh, don't be killing that. In them in them gulls is the souls of drowned sailors, so there is. They're very superstitious types, aren't they, sailor types? They are, for good reason. They're, I mean, Although they're not really sailors, are they, lighthouse keepers? I but mean, they're sort people of the, of the sea... Salty people of the sea are all the same, very superstitious. And there's a reason for that, isn't there? Why? I mean, you've got to be able to contextualise in a framework the power of the shifting sea that you work with, haven't you? So it's huge. I mean, if you've been on an ocean on a small boat, it is is terrifying, particularly if you're lost. Thalassophobia, Paul, fear of the deep. Listen, you don't need to tell me about being afraid of deep ocean. I think. But terrifying. what I'm saying is, if you can imagine that there are magical things happening to it, then you can contain that fear and, and, and not what well, you can. It's literally rationalising it, aren't you? I mean, I think it makes it more dealable with, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a coping strategy, isn't it, for yeah, a situation where you're effectively powerless. You're trying to the act of being superstitious is trying to affect some kind of agency or control over things that really are completely outside your control. So from I that suppose. concept, let's get on to delayed gratification, or as I try to name it, deferred once. I don't know why I'm separating that. Delayed gratification. It's forty-four minutes before we start seeing them singing masturbation. Sea- no, before they start singing sea shanties. We did much better, didn't we? We did much better uh, in terms of delayed gratification. This is how much the human has moved on in one hundred and fifty years, one hundred thirty years. We waited six weeks of lockdown before we succumbed to Billy's tea. Billy the tea, didn't we? <laughs> six bloody weeks. The, the Weller Man. The Wellerman. Yeah. Today the Wellerman comes. Please. <laughs> we waited six weeks. 44 minutes and they're, they're goners. So is this film all about that then? Is this really saying... It's a lockdown film, clearly. It's really reflecting the sea shanty trend that has occurred, isn't it? In film form. Yeah, I think it might We're be. all doing this in lockdown. We're all masturbating. We're all <laughs> singing sea shanties. And we're all going slightly pot crazy. Yeah, but to get back to your question, Richard, which was, yeah, it's not the only thing that happens, you know. Uh, you wanted to explain, I think, about the Little Mermaid's locket or something, maybe? It's Scrimshaw, isn't it? Now, I didn't know what Scrimshaw was until this movie. Uh, made from ivory? No. Oh, walrus tusk. Walrus, I think. Yeah. But it's a little carving. So when Robert arrives, apart from watching his boss uh, piss in a chamber pot. Take the slops out. He reaches into his mattress. I don't know how he knew to look there. He pulls out a bit of wadding and in the mattress secreted there, as it were, is a little scrimshaw carving of a mermaid which he maybe finds attractive because he's very fond of that. He keeps keeps hold of that through most of the rest of the movie. Much like, you know, squaddies will have a picture of 
Marilyn Monroe or or Doris Day inside her locker. This is kind of his little keepsake, isn't it? That that that, that allows him to get away from the, the splash and the thunderous wind of the lighthouse. But what really seems to trigger him and forces him to go and knock one out, if you'll forgive the expression, he's is, when he's, is when he's fixing the roof, he looks through the shingles, which have become perforated, as it were, and his old companion, William Defoe's yeah. Thomas character, is lying face down on the bed with his ass exposed, and his shapely ass, I think, is what sends Robert off to the shed, isn't that? Isn't that? Yeah. At one point, or, they're drunk together. I mean, they get sort of getting progressively drunk throughout the movie, and they have good times and bad times when they're drunk. You know, there's merriment and there's quite a lot of cussing or whatever. But at one point, the old man says, "You can't cook," because I think I think Robert's character is no, moaning, no, it's the other way around. He's moaning about the food. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He says, "You don't like my cooking." Yeah, and Tom, uh, and uh, Robert's character says, "Well, it, you know." What would I do for a steak? And the old man says, well, what would you do with a steak? And he says, if I had a steak, I would fuck it. So so I, that's what I heard anyway. So, I, you know, I think the guy is expressing his sexual frustration. But I don't know if four weeks is enough, really, for it to all back up into your brain and send you bonkers, all this semen, is it? I mean, unless he's a very, <laughs> a very frustrated but very virile young man. But men were much more virile back then, weren't they? So Were they? Oh, a lot. Yeah, they had a much stronger sexual drive than we did. Really? That seems impossible. Almost, almost infinitely <laughs> so. Almost, almost infinitely so, yeah, yeah. I mean, they weren't exposed to biological powders or, you know, uh, nitrogen, nitrogen compounds in the home, were they? Or at work? Are you saying that these things reduce our sexual libido? I'm not saying... Demos- I mean, it's, 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 it's very much settled science these days, I think. They definitely do. I mean, we're talking about sperm counts, maybe. A fertility... That's not the same as libido and the desire, surely. Well, one, sperm counts are much, much lower to the extent that many men are not fertile anymore. Uh, but two, uh, testosterone counts, you know, are down to critical levels also. Well, no you one's, know. no one's saying you, this historically. Well, yeah, I mean, his, compared to historical levels, yeah, yeah. How do they know? How do they know what they testosterone them? Not, not in the 1890s, they weren't. No, but in the it, 1940s and 1950s. Okay. So what I'm saying is all, all that semen, if, if you've got lots of healthy semen, it could back up, couldn't it, and enter your brain. And, and we know it's corrosive, so... <laughs> you might stop mating <laughs> no, with your brain. I, I don't know that point. Hello, I'm a little sperm. I'm just going to mate with you. <laughs> and your brain starts bubbling with sperm babies. <laughs> oh, little babies talking in your brain. Hi, I'm a little wriggly sperm baby. I'm a baby of a sperm. I'm a sperm of a sperm. I'm going to sperm more of your brain. It's like, you know, those worms from sushi get, crawl up your body and get into your brain, isn't it? There's no stopping, oh my God. There's no stopping your brain from going at that point. Sperm gets into your You're brain. You're talking about parasitic flukes that are in yeah. uncooked fish. But sperm is much worse than parasitic flukes. I mean, there's a trillion of them, isn't there, in every spurt? <laughs> they could all... Bump. Sperm of sperm and babies of sperm. Make more sperm. <laughs> this movie is don't let sperm into your brain, people. Don't throw it in your eye, up your nostrils. Any any orifice that has any connection with any kind of close neural path to your brain, it'll crawl up there and destroy you. It's a cautionary tale, isn't it? 
<laughs> yes, it is. This movie, Paul, is uh, very homo- homoerotic. Well, I don't know if it is. And, and, and I, I, I looked on Wiki. Sorry, Richard. Uh, I looked on Wiki and it was claimed to be andro androerotic, which I'm not necessarily necessarily could be called erotic, you know. I mean, it looks at the relationship between men. I don't think necessarily close relationship between straight men is homoerotic anyway whatsoever, is it? But the director answered all this, so uh, he said, "Look, they're not gay, they're not straight. That's not what it's about." But you know, there's a tension there. But it's well, they dance together and nearly kiss at one point. Yeah, but they could be thinking about other people, couldn't they? In fact, they must probably are thinking about other people. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I mean. I mean, do you know what I mean? It's like I—I I think he set it up to, you know, to be ambiguous about that. Potentially, I mean, you could. I mean, there's. I'm—I'm I'm not shutting out the possibility. It is homoerotic or androerotic or whatever the term is, but I—I I, I don't think it's clear that it definitely is. Is all I'm saying. But that's not the point you were making, Richard. You were about to talk about the homoeroticism in the movie. No, I think you've probably tackled my points perfectly. Um, what, 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 what I would say is I don't think men dancing together is necessarily sexual, is it? I mean, it is in our culture these days, but I'm not sure it would be in 1890. Okay. I remember my first time in Vietnam and I was walking down the street and all the young men were holding hands, you know, or cuddling each other, and none of it was sexual. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm not sure our modern idea about, about the fact that adult males are not allowed to touch each other for some, for some reason, I don't know why that happens. Or they might get very angry with each other. I don't know why that happens. Well, that's maybe beer. <laughs> no, there is beer, you know. Or that they're not allowed to, you know, place hands on shoulders in any kind of way for any... I mean, it's not a sexual act, is it, really? You'd be very strange or, or, or very lonely to get some sort of sexual satisfaction of putting your hand on another male's shoulder, wouldn't you? Well, it would be very fleeting contact anyway. But it's it? more about the fear, isn't it? It's more about, I, I fear that that man might be looking at me as a sexual target, he's put his hand on me. That, if that were the case, that action would be consistent with that, although it's consistent with many other things. Because of that slight, slight fear that that might exist, I mustn't respond in a strong, threatening and potentially violent way to stop him doing that, so that in the face of other people, you know, in, the, in other people's light, I'm not seen as the object of his... Wayward affections. I mean, is that the is that the is that the mind think that's going on there? I don't know. I mean, but it's it's peculiar to our culture and our time. I think this idea that men uh, are not intimate. If they are intimate, then it's then it, it, it's it's an indication of sexuality. It's it's a very strange. It's a very strange male space that we occupy. All right, but this film was made by contemporary. Sure, sure, sure. So any homoerotic elements that are put in there like that. I mean, in a sense, I suppose he's got to address it. You can't put two like mariners in an isolated situation without well, I'm getting horny. Well, no, they don't need to get horny. Uh, well, they are horny, as you said. He keeps popping off to the shed to, to knock one out. Exactly. Right. It's going to come up. the 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 idea, the thought, is come up in the minds of the audience. You've got to do something with that. In the same way, if you did a know, prison but, drama, you'd have to address. Defoe's character Thomas farts all the time. Yeah, it's absolutely... It will. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure how you could eroticise that, you know. Yeah, and and after the they finally get drunk and Robert finally drinks and he wakes up with a hangover, he ends up having to take the two both chamber pots out and throwing the contents in the sea because they're filled to the brim 
and presumably he wants to go go to piss. I don't know why he just go don't go outside and piss anyway because he throws him over the rocks and they all blow back in his face anyway. So yeah, he's discovered a m- mermaid's little what's it called the intricate work from Walrus Tusk. Scrimshaw. A scrimshaw, and that fuels his fantasies. And he's out there on the rocks, tending to what the lobster nets. I don't know. And he sees a he sees a little mermaid, a real mermaid, or he hallucinates a mermaid, and that fuels yeah. his fantasy. You know, her yeah, lush. he runs over, doesn't he? He runs over to it, and it answers the question that always arises about mermaids: about how much fun it would be with a mermaid whose bottom half was that of a fish, and the top half was that of a woman. Because yeah. you might you might have thought that the best you could do from that was a you know a blowjob and you know some tits, Frosage. but actually no, it turns out that she does have a vagina, oh, a sort of fishy vagina. I didn't see that. You didn't see the vulva. I did fishy know. vulva. So it explains why mermaids are okay. Actually, why sailors are so keen on them. So you could mate with one. Apparently. So, yeah, strange things for strange times. It takes all sorts, you know, each to their own poison kind of thing. So, but that's the first time, you know, we, we get insight into his hallucinations. You know, he's seeing this mermaid and does he bang her in his mind or not? But anyway, we see luscious Timothée advert kind of, you know, her luscious sort of moistened skin dripping with the salty sea water and it, the beautiful curves of a breast kind of thing. And, you know, who wouldn't imagine running a finger down that? She does look great. I mean, maybe she, Amazing, yeah. Stunningly beautiful, her body. I mean, it, presumably it's because we've been stuck with William Defoe and Robert Pattinson in a stupid moustache for what feels like two weeks. But she well, looks that's stunning. It, you know. I, think, I think every 21-year-old boy knows this. It's like, you know, the fat, the fat ugly kid that used to bully... If you take him out on a night out, suddenly becomes your best friend because you just look so good in comparison to him, you know. It's that framing thing, isn't it? <laughs> so he sees a mermaid, or he thinks he sees a mermaid, that's not clear. The other thing that he sees is he goes up to try and get into the lighthouse at the top. Well, the lantern room, whatever it's called. He goes up and he looks up, doesn't he, through the floor, which is kind of a chicken wire floor style. Thing. Yeah. And he can see th- uh, Thomas above and he he can hear him making noises which sound a lot like masturbation don't they yeah and he but he also sees tentacles like octopus tentacles or something aren't we supposed to assume that he you know he he's 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 a bad un. he's a bit deranged anyway and finally his mind is cracked his past is catching up on with him is that the bit where he goes Back to the cistern, opens it, sees a load of dead seagulls in it. And then the one-eyed seagull lands opposite him. Yes. And he snaps and he grabs it by the neck and Kills violently, her. violently thrashes it on the ground. Yeah, I think that might be feathers. a point where we, a turning point where we might say, you know, whatever was brewing, the, the kettle is finally singing. Yeah, yeah. And then we get a dramatic shot of a barometer where the needle starts pointing to storm. And this is the point where they're waiting, must be four weeks hence. They are waiting for the tender to arrive to take them back to shore. But no doubt because of the storm, nothing arrives. I think another trigger for him is that he peeps into the old guy's diary and finds out that the old guy's been getting him drunk every night, you know, singing shanties with him and uh, doing a jig. 
and having a bit of banter and a bit of an argument, and you younguns couldn't cook to save your lives, kind of stuff. But all pally. But then in his log, uh, he's writing, uh, "This man is an alcoholic, and please do not send him here ever again." Terminate. So with I him. mean, the old guy's being duplicit. Yeah, terminate his employment. You know, without pay. immediately, Severance. without pay. So yes. the old guy's being particularly duplicitous, being a bitch, really. And uh, I think that might just have pushed him over the edge. So at this point, we we have a rapid descent into madness, don't we? I mean, he starts seeing the guy that he confesses he killed, whose name he's taken. And he also finds at some point the head of what I think he assumes is the previous sort of second in command of the lighthouse. And finally, takes it to the old guy. And, well, takes this knowledge to the old guy and says, "Look, you killed the old, the old, the guy before." I, I think from reaction, it's fairly obvious that the old guy didn't, and that it's all in his imagination. Because you know, because he himself has confessed to killing his previous workmate. So it's all coming out in, in, in a strangled kind of way. But didn't the head he find have one eye, like the seagull? So the yes, idea it is did. It's a seagull, uh, the soul of that dead guy. The soul guy. of the dead guy. There we go, you see. So it's all coming together in his mind in some sort of way. So, I mean, no surprise. Uh, they bicker to the end, and, and finally they just they have a start fight. knocking. Yeah, they have a proper fight. Start knocking the crap out of each other. Again, you've been poo-pooing the homoeroticism in this movie, but well, at the end of the fight... I don't know, Richard. You're assuming I'm excited by, by masturbatory scenes, and you're assuming it's homoerotic. I don't at know. The, I mean, don't stop end. throwing this at me because it's <laughs> all with end. you, not with me, baby. At the end of this fight, Robert I don't know to think about this. Having subdued Thomas. But what's homoerotic about that? He, st- he stands up and he says, bark. And he repeats I know, that but comment. I think that's not sexual sadism. That's just sadism, you know, non sexual sadism. <laughs> but he literally Although puts it was a, a bit kinky. He puts a leash on him. And takes him outside. And the old guy does bark, and then he buries him alive. <laughs> yeah, and, very and strange. And shoves dirt in his mouth. That's yeah. right, he gets him to well, lie down he? in a pit. Because he's killed him like such, and then as he's settling down back in the lighthouse, the old guy raises from the dead and comes and knocks knocks his head off, doesn't he? Or tries to. He comes at him with an axe, doesn't he? Do you think it's clear at this point that it's all real or, or hallucinated, or is it supposed to be a mush-mush? It is anything but clear. I have no clue oh, what good, was real. because it, it was a whole mush for me at this point. I had no idea whose imagination we were in. Because ah. by this time, they'd run out of rum. Now they're drinking a delicious cocktail of turpentine <laughs> and honey. <laughs> and I have to say, you know, for four weeks, they've got through a lot of rum. So, <laughs> so good going that they still want to carry on with the party. <laughs> Terps is going to make you mad and blind, presumably. Do you know anything about the alcohols you are allowed to drink? Well, we're certainly not. We're not supposed to drink methanol, are we? Because it will make you go blind straight away. Yes. What about propanol? I've, well, I've drunk methanol on several occasions. Okay, that that so, figures a lot. A lot. A lot of that is lining up now. <laughs> when you say several occasions, do you mean? A week. <laughs> no. Look, okay, listen. Okay, I've drunk methanol uh, in the case of drinking fake beer. And, you know, if you're producing cheap beer in a little shack in, in, in fake beer stills, there's going to be a small amount of methanol in the final product. Sometimes a lot of methanol and people do die and go blind from it. But I, I drank, a, you know, a pretty bad batch of fake beer 
well, I mean, there's no avoiding it in certain countries. And yeah, so one pint, you'll, you'll have one pint and you'll think, oh, I don't want any more tonight. And somehow you won't really be up for the beer that night. And then the next day you'll have the hangover from hell. Like you've, you know, like, <laughs> like you've done an entire weekend, like you've done, you know, three all nighters in a row. Uh, and you'll just feel the thumping headache and it's methanol poisoning, but not serious enough to make you go blind. So yeah, I mean, don't go near methanol. Whatever you do. Are you saying this is a common feature of all homebrew? No, it's, it's a common feature of people imitating expensive alcohol brands with some cheap beer that they've made themselves, quickly bottling it up and, and putting it in the bar that their mates own kind of thing. You know. I mean. Okay. But if you're going to make your own beer at home... I mean, provided you follow basic hygiene and, and, and basic procedures, it's very unlikely, I think, that you're going to have any methanol in it or any significant amount of methanol. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Brewery Hour with Paul. <laughs> <Join us. laughs> well, you asked week. me. I gave you an answer, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, I, or I could say I don't know. Is that what you wanted me to say? I don't mind. No, it's all interesting to me. Yeah. It's all grist chilling, meal, isn't it? Anyway, back to this movie. So, young guy... Kind of confesses he's a bit of a he's a bit of a wrong gun and that he's done his previous uh, employer as a lumberjack and taken on his identity. We're fairly sure that's real, though it could also be hallucinatory. Uh, there's a seagull that resembles the one-eyed, dead, decapitated head that he pick, pulls up in the lobster net. He thinks that's the previous wiki, but it's probably not. Uh, they have a ding dong of a fight, slamming hammers against each other's head. That probably happened. Maybe we don't know. <laughs> Buries the old guy. Old guy comes back, and then he turns the old guy. Well, previously he's turned the old guy into his dog and made made him go woof, put him on a chain. Uh, Richard thinks that's homoerotic. I don't know why. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that's it. So the ending of this movie is after he's attacked by the old guy with the axe, he kills him, kills the old guy, and then he goes up to the lighthouse. Finally, with the yes, keys. finally he has the keys. Thank you, Richard, yes. He bathes in the lighthouse light. <laughs> yes. Opening the Fresnel lens. Actually, we should talk about Fresnel lenses, possibly. Mm-hmm. So, in any case, we'll talk about it in detail, but the summary is, I mean, it's a focal point for the light, is it not? Or There's a focal point, and he stands right in the focal point, and obviously gets horribly, horribly, horribly burnt. And no, do nothing. He does, no, he doesn't get burnt. He, he goes kind of crazy, doesn't he? He kind of laughs and stuff, and you see this crazy... Imagery, and then he falls down the ladder down oh, the stairs. I thought he got burnt by the light. No, no, he falls down the ladder, falls down the stairs, hurts himself. And the end of the <laughs> film is he's his one-eyed lying... seagull and his mates. They've all turned up to the party. He's lying naked on the rocks, and Steve the seagull, wounded. He's got and Steve the seagull is doing what, Richard? Well, the se- there's several seagulls, and they're all pecking Steve at his, his bowels. Mates, yeah. They're pecking at his bowels, <laughs> his entrails, bowels. as they're hanging out of his body, which is, of course... And he's clinging on to life, painfully on. so, I'd Hold imagine. on. We've got to, at this point, stop Alistair from having to do an entire episode telling us how <laughs> we've missed the point of this film. <laughs> we have obviously missed the point. But because that's Prometheus, Can we salvage this? That's the Greek oh. myth of Prometheus, having his, his innards his, pecked out, over his liver eaten over and over again, Prometheus. isn't it? Because his... The old guy had wished him a Promethean fate when he was burying him alive, which indeed is what he got. 
Now, Alistair, calm yourself, because the old guy takes on a Proteus-like figure. Also, Yeah, you're just so. reading that from Wikipedia, mate. I'm not reading that from Wikipedia. <laughs> I just read it from Wikipedia about a minute ago. So, Paul... It's in my short-term memory, Richard. Technically. How, how, do, we, here. how do we score this movie? Mm, it's yeah. a question. Well, I would have preferred to get burnt by the light, by the Fresnel lens. We don't talk about Fresnel lenses, Richard, before we go. The clever thing about a Fresnel lens, right, is what? Is, well, if you had a normal lens, a smooth lenticular lens, it would be yeah. very thick in the middle, would it not? It would, yeah. And it would consequently be very heavy. Yeah. Fresnel's innovation was he realised that it's only the angle of the surface of the lens that's doing the refractive work, right? Yes. So you can take slices of the lens and just kind of slide them backwards, as it were, so they're all in the same plane, so rather than curving outwards. Uh, and it do the same job. And that's how a Fresnel lens works, by making the whole lens arrangement much lighter. Like a dingly-dangly chandelier. Yeah, and because there's a whole lot of volume of glass which is not needed in the Fresnel lens, which makes it much lighter. And without that, I guess, the lens would be too big and heavy to produce and to hang in the lantern room behind the, or in front of the, the light source. So, uh, uh, sure. But Fresnel lenses are used all over the place, of course, particularly these days in VR headsets. Where but you when were lenses. Fresnel lenses invented? Approximate um, era. Oh God! Uh, well, let me put it this way: Fresnel was dead by 1827, wow. so it was considerably before. Well, you see, because I, I was looking at lighthouses, independent of this, but also because of this. My uh, God! So twice. Me, I, I've been looking at lighthouses as well. Whoa! We've both eaten an orange club by McVitie's, and we're both looking at lighthouses. Convergence is happening. Yeah, so I was is. looking at lighthouses for a different reason about three weeks ago, but also because of this movie. And so lighthouses used to come in pairs. Until right. the late 1700s. But you think at that point Fresnel's invention would have rendered the double lighthouse pairing Why? Why were they needed in pairs? Because Fresnel lenses didn't exist, and so you needed two lighthouses. Why would that help, though? So you could steer between them. Okay. Does that make sense? Ah. Uh, uh, because okay. they were quite weak. So you had right. to steer between them. Whereas I think, you know, by the time that powerful lighthouses... On prominentaries became a thing. You could just see it to one side of them. I, the, the, I mean, the, I, one the strength, but two, like you'd have to get them both in sight, and they were quite weak, and then steer towards them. Whereas I, I think once once lighthouses became more powerful, or the light from lighthouses became more powerful, you could just you just knew where they were and could steer to one side of them, kind of thing. Interesting. But yeah, they used to come in pairs. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay. Mm. Well, know, there's little evidence of it because you know, I mean, lighthouses and structures once they stop being used will obviously be knocked down. So, Paul, mm. what would you give the acting in the lighthouse? Oh, hell, fine. We're talking about a movie, aren't we? Yeah. What would I give for this movie? Uh, I, I rather like the acting. I thought Defoe was uh, convincing as. Uh, a gnarly old man of the sea. Uh, so I'm going to give it a seven. 
it's an actor's movie, isn't it? Just two of them acting their hearts out. I have to say that Robert isn't a great actor. You think he is, but I, I, you know, I think he's he's Biggles but shops at JD Sports. I I agree. I mean, I don't think there's much range in you know. He plays like the Anglo-Saxon complicated gentleman who maybe has a dark side in this one, you know, which is not far from the kind of people he's played before and presumably afterward. (laughs) I. Prepare to admit that Willem Dafoe is a better actor. So I will give hey. it an eight. Oh. You know, I was expecting more of a parry from you there, Richard. Well, clearly you've taken against them. No, 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 no. no, no convincing no. you out of it. His forehead's probably too big or Here something. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Push some sensitive liver points inside your, inside your love handles there. Right. Where were we? You've been pecking my liver out every I week have. for I've the been, past. Tormenting you, horrid. It regrows. That's a problem. (laughs) Livers do that, you know. They regrow. Unlike the heart. Yeah. All right. So, what about ventricles next? Fear factor and and atmospherics. Yeah. Fear factor and atmospherics. Let me steer through, steer my eyes and my gaze through my old people glass. (sighs) I gave it a seven, and I expected more. Yeah, you found it. He found it scary, okay. But it wasn't... Mm. Again, it's this weird psychological thing, isn't it, where some things may be supernatural, but actually it's just two old guys, well, two guys drinking terps and going crazy. Can we just formalise this and call it a Jacob's Ladder? I know it's the name of a movie, but can we just use that term? Because we've had okay. we've had so many of these, haven't we? Yeah. Almost to the point the where I don't mind. discuss it yeah. anymore. Like I think there's a few movies, but there's one that was also about this, is it real, is it not real? And I just thought, oh God, I can't be bothered discussing this. But I thought this did it well. True. It did it well. Are we in his mind or not in his mind? I think we're probably in his mind at the end, aren't we? I think, Alistair, correct me if I misunderstood the entire point of the movie, but I think we have to decide that we're in his mind and he's still representing most of reality, but quite a lot of what we see isn't actually happened or is happening, but isn't happening to the level that it's happening. Yeah. Uh, I think that's is that the conclusion that we're supposed to come to at the end. But if we're talking about atmosphere, then you know the foghorn, the mm-hmm. black and white stuff. I wasn't particularly scared by it though. No. Well, I mean, I'll he chose say. the black and white to represent the black and white of the day, uh, yeah. and the it's almost a one-to-one ratio. You know, the square setting of the film to represent how films would have been shot. Uh, in particular, the black and white of the day wasn't very good at picking up red. So if you look, it's it's kind of red-bleached, the whole of the mm. black and white. How can you say black and white is red-bleached? That is to say, red... Things that are red don't come up very don't well. Don't come up the very well. They're blacker film. than they would yeah. be. Yeah, that red. Which is why, in the black and white era for movies, they had special makeup that they would wear... So, you, you know, if you looked, if you ah, took colour pictures of people in Wode or whatever, it's really weird makeup wow. they were wearing. Yeah, to make make them stand out properly. Yeah, so red is a problem for that film of that era, uh, and as a result, uh, one aspect of this, you know, our face has quite a lot of red in it. Uh, what it means is the the pores of their faces really stand out, so it makes them look much more wizened than they actually are. It's very unflattering to the face. And that's why the makeup back in those days had to be so caked on 
was mm. that you know it, it makes people look much much older than they actually are. Uh, this this uh, this bleach red effect. So yeah, atmospherics. What did I say? Did I just say a seven? I think I did. You did, and I will say a six. Ooh. I think. Okay, and so well, we could do special effects. I think. Yeah, I'm going to score it six. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I liked the. I like the seagull bit. No seabirds were harmed during. The oh well, we had mermaids. Movie. You know, we had dead. We had de- 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 decomposed, decapitated, one-eyed, one-eyed heads. You know, the mermaid wasn't particularly convincing, though, was it? No. Her the tail was a bit floppy, crappy, floppy. Yeah. So, hmm. Let's go five for the special effects. They had an easy time, didn't they? They just did it all in black and white. <laughs> Finally, I think it's finally. Are we on finally? I'm not sure, but on writing, on, on the scripting, on that, not for me. I think it was the strongest part. Part the reveals are gradual. I really like the twists where he confessed to kill his former former workmate, former boss, or whatever. I I, I like that. The descent into madness again is graded and gradual. Uh, so, but Paul, yes. you know what I'm going to say. What does it mean? Oh, wait. So those oh, aspects of the script I enjoyed. I'm going to score eight for that reason. But does it mean? Does it need to mean anything? I don't know. Does it mean anything? I don't know. Probably does. Alistair, please tell us. Richard, what do you feel? You know, there were large parts of the dialogue I couldn't really understand because of the <laughs> thick accents. Look, it, it, it's it's high on pretense, isn't it? That's the problem with this. Again, yeah. you choose. I'm a, not going to disagree with that. It's like trying to film a film in French, isn't it? I'll give it a six for the scripts. I think it's probably better than that, but I definitely don't understand it, and I'd like to. It's got mythological aspirations and references, some of which I understand partially. Maybe it's just a straightforward tale of two guys going mad, in which case maybe it's worth a seven. I'm not sure. Difficult. Overall, Paul, then, what would you say? Overall, I'm going to give it a 6.5. Which is a fairly strong recommendation. With one important caveat, which I'll get to after Richard's scored his final. I would recommend this, yeah. Here's what I felt after after it, and still now. I feel like I've been four weeks on a fucking lighthouse <laughs> island. <laughs> That's better than 275 parts. years to Mars. Uh, yeah, I mean, you'd think it would be easy to do after a year in lockdown, but it was actually quite harrowing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's quite effective. I think the movie does... Pulls something off there. Yeah. So did the she, did I'll the, give it a seven. Did the sea shanties ameliorate the experience or not? No, it wasn't a very good sea shanty. I couldn't. I, think, I couldn't. Sing I think we could learn something from that, Billy T, couldn't we? Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I, it is a worth a recommend and it's worth a watch. I, I would have say that the cost of watching it on any platform is <laughs> prohibitive. Was I don't know how much money eight pounds to watch? Ah, oh, well, I'm going to tell you a secret now, Paul. For these movies where we have to pay money, do you know what I do? Pirate Bay. No. Doesn't exist anymore, by the way. I answer the Google opinion poll because it gives you real dollar dollar to spend in the Google Play Store on movies and stuff. How do you answer the Google opinion poll? You sign up. There's an app. You sign up to the Google opinion app. Wow. How much, how much does it pay you? you? answer questions. Well, I had Dollar. £11 saved up by the time we came to watch this movie. I'll tell you what, these, I mean, it's very effective when your bank gives you these 30 days, like, 30, uh, you know, cashbacks for, for me, the ones I sent to, like, Costa or Dunelm Furnishings or Starbucks. 
And what's really, I know why it's effective is that it's like for a month. Why it's for a month is because for a month, you've got to think and think and think and think, oh, I'm going to spend it costly. I'm going to, I've got to remember to go to cost today because I've got to, and what you're doing is you're just recycling that brand name in your brain because they know that it's not part of your habit. So to get it, so to get it to work during your day and get that 10% or 20% off, you're going to think about the product a lot, you see. And therefore, when the promotion ends, that product is now in your brain where it wasn't. It's lodged in your brain where it wasn't before. And that's really valuable to them. So I do those. You know, I've earned about 20 quid on cashback this year. And that's it. Because I, I, I'm not good at this. I, you know, I, I sign up for them and I forget about them completely. But what I do is the YouGov. YouGov pay me. But they only pay me five pence or ten pence a time. And there you go. when I was at McDonald's, when I used to eat at McDonald's, I used to get like, you know, a water, a salad and a slim burger, like the cheeseburger or the hamburger. Cheap and cheerful. And you get the kind of fill in, fill in your order and get two pounds off your next meal kind of thing. Uh, and you have to fill in your order and then go online with the number code that it gives you and, and fill in a quite extensive customer survey. Uh, but they do give you about two quid off your next meal. Yeah, but they, I've sent you a link to Google Opinion Rewards. And you too can earn. I mean, today, all I had to do was tell them that, yes, I had been to Sainsbury's, and no, they couldn't have my receipt. And how much money did you get for that? 7p. Wow. Yeah. Some of them, if you answer, if you tell them how much your salary is, you get 20p for that. <laughs> and I've told them that dozens of times. Some local newspapers, you'd also read their articles, are doing this, which I think is quite good. Because, I mean, you never subscribe or pay for local online newspapers. But, you know, if I answer a question about which insurer I would be prepared to you know insure my car with then yeah i think it's worth it for an you, article. you couldn't read the news about blackpool about no it was about preston and yesteryear oh okay uh, about about no. about soul street baths which is dear to my heart oh yeah you probably swum there it's beautiful beautiful building peed in the pool there now paul since but wait i'm this- finished so oh. then on the back of these experiences with, uh, I don't know what you call it, consumer reporting or secret shoppering in a certain sort of way or poster, or consumer polstering, I signed up for the pub ones. Yeah. Right. After lock, the first lockdown had ended. Okay. Yeah, but their app didn't work. Ah. So I never got to those. Because in those, you can get a free pub meal because they're very, very extensive reports that you have to fill in. They do a grammar test, you know, and they make sure that you're going to refer to people not by their sex or... Uh, Opinions about their appearance or that kind of thing, you're going to describe, use their name, you know, the server's name and their hair colour, uh, glasses or no glasses, that kind of thing, you see. So it's, 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 they take you through a whole testing system to make sure that you can review properly. Uh, i.e., they're just looking for adult, adults. And then they pay quite handsomely, you know, they pay like, you know, a meal's worth for each review. Good lord. Yeah. So if you're a travelling salesman or you travel a lot for business, it's something worth doing if you don't mind your your brewer's fair eating habits being analysed. Oh, no, brewer's fair. If you don't mind your brewer's fair kind of stuff, your 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 beef harvester, beef eater, harvester beef Toby's carvery yeah. kind of stuff. And I don't mind Toby's that kind of food. Pretty much all of them you can earn your way reviewing them if you do serious and sensible reviews. Now, Paul. Yes. Why don't you then Select next week's movie, or, or give me options for next week's movie. Do you know? Perhaps from from free ones that we don't have to pay for. <laughs> right. Well, I, I wanted to suggest a movie called Gummo, 
and this will be very diversionary because it ain't horror and it ain't sci-fi. Although some people, including David Letterman, might suggest it's a horror. A horror of a movie. Not a horror movie. Uh, or Army of the Dead, which I don't know is free or not free. But those are my two choices. But you can add another choice if you want to, Richard. Uh, no, I think we're going to go for Gummo. Oh, wow. Well, I never expected that. You've really surprised me there. In a good way. <laughs> the tyranny of low expectations. Okay. <laughs> so Gummo it is. Okay. Yes. Uh, until. Directed by a man and written by a man named Harmony. Oh, like the remote controls. Sorry to interrupt your, your, your out. Your outro, Richard. My out, outro, outro, which is what, what I call the music. Although we should perhaps come up with a better name than outro. Until the next time, Paul. Until the next time, where will we be watching and reviewing Gummo? Gummo. Bye for now. See you then.